Rugby KO, a podcast that pulls no punches. We deliver rugby insights from passionate enthusiasts from the grassroots to the global game. Players, punters, professionals and partners providing uncensored opinions on how the sport of rugby can thrive again. Welcome to Rugby KO with your host, Katrina Oxenham. Gavin Head is currently the General Manager of Community Rugby at the Queensland Reds. Prior to this role, he worked with the Australian Rugby and the Ramsey Foundation in acquiring grants for communities and schools to support rugby programs. He consulted to Rugby Australia to advise and recommend future strategies and their implementation for community rugby across Australia. He was a community rugby manager at the Queensland Reds and worked with the Reds in this capacity for almost 11 years and also general manager for 13 years in Queensland's community rugby. He has a strong community focus and I talked to Gavin about rugby in Queensland, the regional roadshow he's currently undertaking to promote the game, his thoughts on what community rugby needs to succeed and the future of the game from his perspective. Hi, Gavin, and welcome today to the Rugby KO podcast. Hi, Katrina. Thanks. Gavin, you're the General Manager of Community Rugby at the Queensland Reds. Um, You've been in the role since 2019. Can you tell us what are some of the key things that you have achieved so far in the role? And more broadly, what does that role in community rugby involve? Well, Katrina, it's the second time I've, I've held this role. I held it previous up to about 2005. Coming back in, uh, there's a real challenge and opportunity around the community game and where Queensland Rugby wanted to take it. Probably the biggest success in coming back in, which was totally unintended, has been to keep the game going through the COVID period, which has probably accelerated some of the other goals, like making changes in what you're doing is always difficult and a long process. COVID's given us an excuse and some collateral to be able to do that and and change what we're doing. We're currently in the middle of um, repositioning our staff and, you know, a more focused attention we'll have on the services we give. But definitely, you know, 91% of the people by count that played last year are still playing rugby through COVID this year. So that's the biggest success, most definitely. Yeah, wonderful. The participation and the the depth there that you've got up in Queensland is attributed to some of those programs. Is it in the community rugby space? Yes. And uh, look, there's some, especially at the moment, I'm talking to you from Rockhampton and Central and North Queensland, we've actually had increases in participation, which is, you know, quite remarkable when you think about it with the challenges that are there. There's been some great work by volunteers who really a thousand kilometres away from the nearest Super Rugby franchise, so they play the game just for the love. Mm, that's fantastic. So you're on a bit of a roadshow, aren't you? So you're in uh, Rockhampton at the moment. Where else are you going in regional areas in Queensland to sort of spread the word? And what are you doing on the roadshow? Well, we, you know, with the statewide responsibility at the moment, I'll be working north from Rockhampton through the Central Highlands region, Mackay, Townsville and Cairns. It's part of our repositioning plan, but it coincides nicely with the finals that are happening over the, the current period. There'll be a focus on coach education that we'll be doing all the way through. 
We'll be also doing some talent ID work with female participants to try and um, plug into and, and, and assist the Wallaroo program for the World Cup that's coming up. Just a lot of stakeholder engagement will be taking place as we go through. So it's a fairly busy time. It's a good time because you will catch people because finals is all, you know, people are at games. They're happy and keen to talk. Mm. So aside from the community rugby stuff that you're doing at the moment, you're also integral in developing the grant funding guidelines and assisting in the application process for grants for rugby. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us um, previously how those grants are sought by, say, schools or clubs, for example, and does that still exist now? Are there grants available for rugby, to your knowledge? Yeah, well, a couple of years ago I was approached by Dick Marks and there was money being made potentially being uh, donated to the Australian Rugby Foundation from the Paul Ramsey Foundation. And they were after a specific outcome for, for this money if they were going to give it. They really, the Paul and the people that uphold his values and surround him were, really wanted to see the traditional grassroots picture of rugby existing where you know, a teenager can go and play rugby and, and get out in the field. They didn't want it spent on some means-based program that, you know, was going to get you there. They wanted it on something that really put people on the paddock. So I was fortunate that having been involved for so long in development, we really went back to the past to invent the future. So we come up with a scheme that was presented whereby, in essence, we fund the clubs and the community locally if they come up with a plan and engage the schools to get competitions up. So we could fund direct to the schools, but then they'd go and play and there'd be no link. So the real beauty of this where it's worked well is, an example, we just finished a tournament in the Downs. The schools have a feeling that their community is investing in them. There's great relationships between the clubs and the schools. You have people coaching and crossing over. There's very little reference of Queensland Rugby or Rugby Australia in this and uh, they really feel empowered. It's a great opportunity for local people to do things for themselves and, and in a manner that, you know, they, they find appropriate and relevant for them. Like some of the, the groups that we're going through, there will be one startup in Mackay uh, in Term 4. There's large numbers of coaches that are being put through accreditation up there through the funding that were available, and the motivation is that they're going to go out and coach in these schools, but they'll also coach elsewhere. That's a great initiative, isn't it? And so so those those grants are available, are they now? Is there a process still now where... Yeah, no, there's a Emerging Schools webpage is available on the, on the Rugby Australia site there. Look, to be honest with you, because we're funding rugby communities, we, we really know who we're funding. And while the page is there, we're out networking and talking. It's, it's in New South Wales and Queensland where the programs run. So the other day I was talking to Luke Mack, who is at Central Coast as the development manager there. He's working to a competition up and going, an application for next year for Central Coast. We have a number of the competitions in New South Wales, unfortunately, have been suspended for this year with, with COVID, but there, mm. there's comps in Central West at Dubbo and uh, Newcastle. The sports high schools in Sydney were all primed to be off and going with the competition, but obviously the, the second wave emergence in Sydney has delayed that. 
there's a competition in Term 4 that should be going ahead in Wagga that uh, the Brumbies uh, run, but it's based in, obviously, in, in New South Wales. We probably have got to a point now where the cash flow is such that it'll be very incremental in what we do. We've had a huge growth going through, but as people go through the funding progressions and there's less funding that comes through over years to each of those programs, I think ultimately we can sustain about 20 programs over the next two to three years. So we're about halfway to that now. So you also worked, Gavin, at Rugby Australia back in 2006-2007 as a Mm. consultant with the task of reviewing community rugby at the time and you're armed with providing some recommendations for future strategies for the community game. Do you recall some of those recommendations um, at the time and, and have they been implemented? Last question you asked would probably be we were all ready to go with them and it it was timely because at the time the recommendations came through uh, under Gary Flowers' leadership at Rugby Australia, Gary, they changed CEOs and obviously with the changing of CEO, it was John O'Neill come back in and, and those most of the strategies were just put to the side. It's funny, the documentation still there and the process we're going through at the moment, a number of us have had a look at them and a lot of them have been progressively implemented because they were logical, but a number of them, they're still highly relevant now. Like some of the stuff around retention and recruitment based on better customer relationship management of participants is highly relevant. And there's still work being done. We're still not doing a good job on that now. There's some of the assets we have around Salesforce and tools like that you can use but, you know, we have a good database of people involved in rugby. We need to work harder to, to keep them as customers. And I don't think we do that well at the moment. It's very, there's a big churn, probably about, I'd say, push towards 50% of the participants in rugby turnover every year. Wow. Yeah. You want to get that retention rate up, don't we? It's always Make everything easy. a lot easier for all the hard work we do for everyone. Yes. Community rugby really has had some positive conversations around it recently. There is a bit more of a focus, I believe, on community rugby recently, but it has been suffering in the background for some years, despite many calls for a grassroots and community focus to basically develop some growth in the game. Why do you think historically there wasn't that focus on community rugby when when most people will tell you it was needed well before now? I think understanding the the business model, and I I use that word with caution, the business model for community rugby, because it really is, it's it's an aggregation of very, very small parts. Nothing in itself is probably significant enough for someone to look at and go, you know, it's not like a Bledisloe where they go, what a, you know, that, that as a chunk is highly commercial. But when you aggregate it up, it's massive. It's absolutely massive. And through this COVID period, it's amazing that the, the, the smaller the clubs, the, the more resilient they've been because they don't have the liabilities of a big balance sheet that is challenged during COVID. Like if you're at a club where you turn up to a field, you turn up with a carton of soft drinks and some sausages and wheel out a barbecue and that's it and you've got no staff, you've got none of those things, you've been able to continue on in rugby fairly easily. At the top end, it's a lot more challenging where you have, you know, HR costs, you have assets that you've got to service, all of those types of things. But there's great accumulated value and there's great value just from what happens 
in in the community rugby space at the top end of it and unfortunately it's such a diverse thing community rugby because at the top end you've got your premier clubs in Brisbane and Sydney and some of them are very very commercial in what they do whether they're an end point for community rugby or a start point for professional rugby I think is something that confuses the whole issue and just where they sit as to whether they really are part of the broader community picture. I know in the past we've funded premier clubs, but it it really is the sharp point of the community game. There's thousands and thousands of people contributing and participating in areas like Rockhampton or without any tangible uh, financial support. So is community rugby historically or for the general population may be defined as junior or amateur Whereas when you get to those premier rugby clubs, you know, as you say, they are at the pointy end there at that transition phase from amateur to professional. So at the moment, they're still defined as community and they still receive funding as community? Well, they're they're amateur and they receive services being provided out. I think in the last few years, the the levy system that's in place, and I know it was much maligned when it it came in, but without it, it's what's kept the community game alive the reason I know that there's 91% of the people playing who played last year in Queensland is because 91% of the levies have come in and that's maintained staffing and servicing. You know, the fact I'm here and I'm out out in the regions is based on those levies. If it wasn't for them, we'd be relying on the broadcast revenue, which at the moment just doesn't exist. Yeah. So you also worked at the Queensland Reds for almost 12 years in community rugby roles. What have you seen over that time that has created the most positive impact for community rugby? So what have been a couple of the great things that have happened in community rugby? Because, you know, we all know what needs perhaps to be done or what are the deficiencies, but what have been the the great positive things for community rugby over that time that you've had at the Reds so far? I've been very, very fortunate in the journey that I've had. The first time I was at the Reds, I started when the game was amateur in 1994 I finished in 2005. So during that period, you know, we had a very successful Queensland team winning Super 10 titles. The game went professional and money came into the game. And in the early days, that was a positive. There was lots of funding programs that went out across the state at, at, at all levels. We had the success of, you know, a World Cup in 99, hosting a World Cup in 2003, a Lions Tour in 2001, all really, really positive things. And, and the, the great thing was at that time, they all spilled onto the community. There was a flow-on effect that came, you know, increases in participation, great branding for the game, identification. Like we're just talking here when I walked into this building, they were saying about the British Lions played here at this ground where I'm at. You know, oh, did uh, they? It, yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, the All Blacks are played here and many different international teams. And it's, it's really just... Uh, it's it's a community park that's here, but that's some of the great things that used to happen. Like you would never see the British Lions play here <laughs> ever again. <laughs> but and and look, we had those connections at that point, and and people knew knew the players. The players were involved at the clubs. There was a great sense of community, and I think that was the best thing. That was what made the game really really enjoyable. And if I go back to those grant funded competitions. That's the real thing we aim for there, where you get that sense of community, where you get your, your mateship, your fellowship, you get the enjoyment. That's what people are after. 
they'll only hang around, they'll only be there, they'll only pay money to, to watch or to play if it's enjoyable. Mm. And there is a movement towards that connection back to the grassroots and the professional game and, and realigning. It feels like there is a lot of efforts at the moment going towards that. Would you agree? You know, most definitely. I think even through this whole COVID piece, everyone's realised that it's the simple things in life that are, that are important that can't be taken away or if they are challenged, that's the things we really value. You know, the return to sport, people actually realise why they play it and what's, what's missing when it's taken away. We're doing a lot of work at the moment. Actually, this weekend is our mental health round for Premier Rugby and we have a, a great mental health program that we're running and it really cuts through. It's a really important topic for people out there in the community and involved in sport. I, I'm quite amazed at the, the amount of programs we run where you you have to beat the door down to get people to pay attention. The, the mental health one is it really resonates strongly with people. That is, it's the in touch with mental health at the uh, mm. the program. Yeah, is yeah. that also implemented at the community level? It's at the community level. So what we do there, we're funded by the Mental Health Commission in Queensland and we've got a a fairly unique program in that we run awareness sessions that follows up and we've we've trained and accredited over 75 mental health first aid officers in, in all of the clubs. As we roll that out going forward, the next and final stage then is to, for each of the clubs to develop their own mental health strategy that really how they, I suppose, create awareness and deal with mental health issues in the club. It, look, it's, it's an amazing thing when you actually get into it and because most people unfortunately start with an awareness of mental health at the most catastrophic outcome and that is obviously suicide. But just as you look at someone on physical health and physical fitness, it's not the fact that, that you can only just move, the excellence in it is when you're performing well as an athlete. The same thing goes with mental health. It's when people are really happy, they're functional, they're healthy. It's, it's a mental health program. It's not a suicide prevention program. Mm, yeah, there is a, a difference, isn't there? What a great yeah. initiative. That's fantastic. I, I saw another initiative that I thought was great was a Rookies to Reds program. What's that program involve? Rookies to Reds kicked off a number of years ago when around the time when the Reds won their super rugby title and it was a, the outcome was very much membership based along the lines of what AFL does with Auskick. To be honest with you, we're at a point now where we're looking to repurpose that and, and probably refresh it. The things that we're looking at with that is to try and uh, increase participation in that space. It's probably be come a little bit more about the mechanics of it and I think that's where it's lost its way. We, we have real challenges in getting kids into young ages at the moment. There are declines in under six, you know, around that age group of people playing the game, which is worrying. The Rookies to Reds program, I think giving things that are more bite-sized, um, you know, six to seven week program where people can come in, progress through a number of stages is probably more appropriate, not only for the kids at that level, but for the family unit who are probably aren't looking for a 22-week season for a six-year-old. And we're responding to what's in the market at the moment. Like that seems to be kids will sample many sports at that age and that's healthy. Mm, mm-hmm. 
So what does community rugby more broadly in Queensland need right now to assist and support its success? Is it financial investment? Is it people resources? Is it more of a focus on that connection with all levels of the game? What do you think that community rugby needs right now? Look, finances never go astray, but it's (laughs) what you do with them. Look, I really think the most important thing is our people. The three goals that we're repositioning towards, and, and one of them is, in layman's terms, it's people, program and places, which what that comes down to, the people component is the workforce. It's the coaches, the match officials, the administrators. It's the people who provide the game and getting them better trained and better resourced and and more resilient to be able and capable to be able to provide the game at the highest level. That'll increase that retention and increase the enjoyment. The second one is is our programs. And I think this is part of the, we've always looked at quantitative measures, you know, are there more people playing? And we've got that huge churn rate. We're really trying to now focus on the quality of it. So a little bit of rationalisation. Everything doesn't need to be bigger. Some programs will reach a size and they probably work well if they're just left at that size. I'll give you a classic example is the Shoot Shield and the Hospitals Cup Mm. remain very much the same year in, year out. There's no need for them to grow. You know, there's four grades, three cults in in Sydney, and it's been that way for however long, and it works. But it's a well-run comp, and it's got good brand equity. If we can do the same with, you know, sevens comps, you know, school-based comps, junior comps, and, you know, get more comps, but don't overcrowd the space. Don't, Don't extend seasons where people... You know, you get that big bash effect where you take something really good and and too much of it destroys it. Mm-hmm. The third thing we're looking at then is is the places and our clubs. The grassroots of our game is the clubs and the schools who provide it. The people come and go, but those clubs particularly are there. Some of them have been there for over a hundred years. That's the thing we need to perpetuate and invest in. And, and, you know, there's a physical side of that with how good their facilities are. You know, the challenge we have with females coming into the game now to make sure those facilities address that, that gender equity that's required there, that they meet the safety concerns that are required. You know, technology changes and things like lighting with LEDs coming in. There's going to be a huge impost on clubs as, as technology changes there. And just the financial viability. And that, again, doesn't mean bigger. It just means that the business works. And if that is simply that we have a trailer and we open it up each weekend and there's sausage sizzle there, so be it. It, That's all that's required. They're probably the three things that we're really going to focus down on. Mm -hmm. Do the schools and the clubs work well together as a community unit or are they sort of managed and resourced and invested in very separately? Look, it, it, I think this is a huge leadership piece for the game. If if we deal with them holistically, they do work well together. They're the same people. They really are the same people. If our strategies are secular and divisive, they don't. The Emerging Schools Program is a classic example where, uh, you know, funding the clubs to fund the schools brings them together. We're doing some of the work we're doing currently on our workforce piece is clubs and schools are collaborating then for the benefit of training up their workforce of coaches because and quite often they're the same people crossing over. 
I think when you get down and, again, if you drive to that community point, they work really well together. You've just got to be mindful of that in your strategy. Finally, Gavin, if you were given the reins at Rugby Australia today in its current with its current challenges, <laughs> what would you do immediately to just secure its its future? Well, look, it's it's an integrated business, and I quite often get asked the question of whether the community game should be separate. There's ways and means which we can do that within the game. I think the sources of revenue for the community game are very specific now for them with the levies, with commercial partners who identify specifically with the community game. So I think the first thing is to clean up your revenue and your return on that revenue back to the community game that it's protected for the benefit of the community game. I also think that the models that we have Rather than building it from the top down, there should be one of the things we've done is built our reposition in Queensland purely around the, the, the money that comes into us. If there's money from Rugby Australia going forward from a broadcast deal, we won't be putting that into staff at Queensland Rugby. We'll be going to our community partners, to the regions and the, the key partners telling them what the strategy is that Rugby Australia and Queensland Rugby have and asking them what they want to do in their area in that to address one of those outcomes and if they want to co-invest. And so someone might, you know, someone from Townsville might say, we want to increase our female participation. We align with what Rugby Australia is about. We reckon we can put 30 grand towards that and we might say, well, here's 60 and for two years or whatever period of time. So, Again, very much the same strategy we've used with the um, Emerging Schools Grant, getting that co-investment, getting the ownership and delivery as local as we can. Yeah. Well, Gavin, thank you for your time today and discussing community rugby. Um, You've devoted many years to the game, particularly with that community focus and the community level. So thank you for your work that you've done and also continue to do. Good luck on the the trip in regional Queensland and thanks for your time. Thank you, Katrina. Thank you very much. (laughs) Great to chat. Thank you for joining us at Rugby KO. Any comments or insights, please send to Katrina at rugbyko.com. For show notes and more about all things rugby, head to our website at www.rugbyko.com. We look forward to your company for our next episode of Rugby KO.